Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Today, uh, we're turning a corner. I am um, just excited because I get to kick off a brand new series today entitled Own It. And so we're going to dive into this uh, idea for the next few weeks. And let me tell you where we got the, the title Own It. All right. So uh, this is going to take a little bit of explanation, but it kind of sets the tone for this entire series. About 10, 12 years ago, there was a study done. It was done by Willow Creek Church. They're outside of Chicago. They're a multi-campus church. They've got a bunch of different locations. And what they started noticing was that they had a lot of involvement within the churches, but there were churches that were separating themselves from the others in spiritual maturity. They started realizing that some of the churches were uh, not growing, like they weren't growing spiritually. And, and uh, we would just say these are unhealthy churches. They're not growing like they should. And there's other churches over here who were growing very well. Like they, the people in the church were growing in their spiritual maturity. They were seeing all kinds of fruit from that. And so they began asking the question, we're one church in multiple locations. How can that happen? Like the same message is delivered, same music, same everything in, in two different locations but yet one church is healthy and one church is not. How does that happen? They did this entire study, uh, all these interviews, surveys, talked to a ton of people. Uh, they begin to just evaluate everything that they were doing, uh, you know, what was laid out in front of the church as far as uh, the life of the church. Uh, and then after they concluded their study, they actually went outside the church and they'd studied 50 other churches as well. And when they were all done, they came up uh, with their results and they published it in a book called Reveal. And uh, what they found out, let me just give you a couple of the findings. First of all, they found out that there's four definitive stages of spiritual growth. You have people who are exploring Christianity. They have not yet received Christ, but they're exploring it. They have people who are growing in Christ, so they've just come to Christ. They're starting to grow. Uh, people who are close to Christ, and then what they, they called the fourth stage was Christ-centered. People who uh, actually, Christ it takes a focal point in everything that they do in their life. Finances, the way they spend their day, everything, Christ is at the center of that. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Hopefully somebody's like, yeah, backpacks, right? We've been talking about how, you know, a day hiker and a backpacker and a guide and a Sherpa. We're, we're spelling out these four stages is what we've been doing. But what was interesting about this study is that they found out that actual uh, increase in activity within the church did not equal spiritual maturity. Like we had people plugged into all these different activities, but they weren't growing in their knowledge of Jesus Christ or they weren't living it out outside the church walls. And the reason for that is because God has wired every one of us, first and foremost, for a relationship with him, listen to me, and not with the church. Now, that might sound weird, especially coming from a pastor, so let me explain that just a little bit deeper. Uh, what we found out is that sometimes the church is getting in the way of people growing in their relationship with Christ. Uh, and it can come from either two different directions, the way the church structures themselves or the way people see the church. 
Many people coming into the church would look at the church and go, well, it's their job to teach me. It's their job to grow me. It's their job to, to tell me what to do in my life. And then in that situation, the church has actually replaced Jesus. And so what the church started realizing is they needed to step out of the way. And, and actually in those first two steps of spiritual maturity, the church take takes a very active role in that and getting them going. But after that, those last two steps, actually, instead of the church taking a primary role, they actually step back and take a secondary role, almost as a coach with a, with a player. And so it changes the approach. It really did change the way a lot of people saw church, the way we started approaching how we did church. Now, if I'm cutting all the way to the chase, I'm just going right to the, the heart of this entire study. This is what they found out. The difference between an unhealthy church and a healthy church. Uh, people who are in an unhealthy church have the mentality that the church is there to serve them, to teach them, to direct them, to tell them what to do. Healthy churches are churches that are full of people who said, the church is me. I'm the church, and I'm the one that owns it. Like, I own the mission that God has given me. I own my own spiritual development. I own my relational development. They're the ones that took it upon themselves to go out and evangelize and disciple the world around them. It was, it was the churches where the people were taught that it was their mission, not the church's mission, to achieve what God has called us to achieve. So that's the bottom line. So that's where we got the name own it. And if you haven't figured it out, what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks is the mission of God and how do we own that, not the church as a, as a, a building or as a staff and elders and leadership, but as members of the body of Christ, how do we all individually own that mission and how do we practically apply that to everything that we do in life. So with all that being said, let me just, uh, just kind of set the table for us, if you will, as we jump into this series. I want you to know that without a doubt, God has already given the mission to the church. He's made it very clear. It's all in Scripture. If you go to Scripture and you ask, what's the mission of the church? Uh, it's simple. When Jesus was here on earth, he was asked a couple of times in Matthew and Mark. Uh, he said, I'm sorry, Matthew and, and Mark 12 there. He was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he turned around and he replied, not with one, but with two. And if you boil them down, it just comes down to four words. Love God and love others. That's really what it came down to. Love God and love others. Then he goes to the cross. He, he comes back from the grave. He walks with his disciples for a while. He ascends into heaven. And just before he leaves, he gives them in Matthew chapter 28 what's called the Great Commission. Now go, and we've talked about this so often, you know, go and, and preach the gospel, baptize them and teach them everything I've commanded you. And if you want to boil that down to two words, it comes down to make disciples. So if you want to look at the whole mission of the church, you would just say this, love God, love others, make disciples. Six words. That's the whole mission of the church, of, of you and me as disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what our lives need to be about. Now, where it gets sticky is that every church is different. And I say that because you know why? Because you're here. You're not in another church this morning. You're here. You're a part of this body. And the person next to you is a part of this body, and they're not somewhere else either. God has uniquely made every one of us different. We're just, we're our own person. We have our own set of gifts, our own likes, our, our spiritual giftedness and, and passions. And so every church is different because it's filled with different people. Does that make sense? So you can't say that two churches are alike. They're not. And then you add on top of that, this group of believers has come together under this roof, and God has placed us in this unique mission field. And it's a unique mission field. 
Because the friends that I have that pastor churches in Texas and in Washington and Idaho and California and Pennsylvania and I was going to say New York, but there's no Christians in New York. Um, but that's a joke. That's a joke. Uh, but all these pastors that are pastoring these different churches, even in New York, okay, they, they have a different mission field. It's a different mission field. And so you have a unique church, different people sitting in a unique mission field. So when you ask the question, okay, our, our mission is to love God, love others, make disciples, the question becomes, how does that unique church do that in that unique mission field? And that's where you come up with the mission for the church, the specific mission. Now, we call it a mandate, and it's simply this. We, we said we're going to point people to Jesus by fostering relationships. And the reason we said it is because after we looked at our mission field here, we realized um, we don't know each other. We just don't have authentic relationships here. Everybody moves out here, and they buy 40 acres, and they put barbed wire up, and they have a garage door opener, and somebody knocks on your door, and you peek through the window. You don't want them to know you're there, and we don't like people here. We don't. Uh, you guys are laughing, but that's the reality. I have people that come in from out of state, and they're like, you guys don't like people here, do you? And I'm like, nope, we don't like people. And that's, that's who we are. Now, here's the problem with that is because God has made us for community with him and with one another, and that whole not liking people is kind of a problem. So we have to get over that. And so what we've said is the best way to shine the brightest in this dark area is by fostering relationships. If we really had authentic relationships, if we lived in community with one another, guess what? It would be this bright, shining light in a dark world. So we're going to point people to Jesus by fostering relationships. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to foster relationships in three different directions. Up with God daily, in with each other weekly, out with somebody who doesn't know Christ at least once a month. And I, I say all that to say those are minimums, okay? I don't want those to become legalistic where you just kind of mark the box off. All right, I read a verse today, so I fostered an up relationship today. I'm done. Or, well, I met with that unchurched friend of mine uh, last week for coffee, so I don't have to meet with him again until December, right? So it, it's this idea of, no, 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 this is a lifestyle. We want you to start implementing this and living your life according to this so that you might love God, love others, and make disciples. And so um, this is the way that we're going to do it here, fostering relationships up, in, and out. And, and so today, I want to share with you what it looks like to foster an up relationship. Uh, this is the most important one because we can't do the other two until we do this one right. And so I want to talk to you about how to foster an up relationship today. And, and uh, so would you head over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that's where we're going to start. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got guys coming up and down the aisle. They'll hand you one. It's our gift to you. Put your name in it. Head over to 1 Corinthians. Or better yet, if you want to download the MVF Colorado app, you can do that. And when you download that app, you can actually go to uh, Engage at the bottom. There's a little button that says Engage. And when you click on Engage, it gives you so, several options to be able to engage in this morning's message. You can click on the Bible. If you do that, it gives you all the passages I'm going to be covering in order this morning. All you got to do is just scroll down and, and stay with us. Uh, the second thing is there's a section there for message notes. You can actually take message notes this morning and then email them to yourself so that you'll have a copy of them. So if you want to, you can refer back to them later. And so there's several different ways that you can engage this morning through that app. So hopefully you'll choose to do that. Now, today uh, I get to share with you this idea of um, fostering an up relationship. And, and when I go to 1 Corinthians, what I realize very quickly is that this church is no different than a lot of churches. 
that this church in Corinth actually focused on knowledge. They, they really thought they were smart. They thought they had it figured out. They were studying the Torah. They, they were getting into it. And they thought knowledge equaled maturity. And then they were getting hung up on gifts. They were all about the gifts. Who had what gift and, and who was better than somebody else because they had certain gifts. And the Apostle Paul came along and he had something to say to him because of this. This is what he said. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you were belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. Remember the spiritual maturity levels here? He's talking about babies in Christ. And keep in mind, this was a church that thought they had it all figured out. Like they thought they were wise. He says, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. So the idea is that, that Paul was saying, look, you think that knowledge is going to get you there, but you're not living it out at all. You might have it in the head, but you're missing it in your heart. You're not, being, you're not even being obedient to the scriptures that you know. And so you're like babies. You're not living it out. I want you to grow up. See, knowledge does not equal maturity. He goes on to say real spiritual growth is actually the increased the increase of God's life in your life. Like when you start to be obedient, then I know that you're growing in your faith. And he's saying, look, obedience is a better indicator of spiritual maturity than knowledge. Uh, James talks about don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. This is what he's talking about. Now, I heard this story a month, two months ago, and I just thought it was fascinating. Um, Do you guys remember back in grade school studying frogs? Do you remember that? You know how frogs are, are born and they're, they're like put in a big egg sack and then they hatch and they become tadpoles and they swim around depending on the species. It could take, you know, a year, two years or whatever for them to go from a tadpole to where they grow hind legs and pretty soon they grow front legs and their, their head changes, eyeballs start to become kind of bulgy and then they lose their tail and they hop up out of the pond and they become a full-grown frog, right? And, and so you kind of see that. Does any, was that taught to any of you? Okay, you guys are looking at me like I'm a weirdo. Okay, you guys have heard that, right? Okay, good. All right, just so we're on the same page. Um, it's, it's one of those metamorphoses that just, they go from a tadpole to a frog. And, and so um, this story, uh, this, this group of scientists were going into Arizona and there's this, uh, this frog that's endangered down there uh, of being extinct. And it's this leopard frog or whatever. And they're doing a bunch of research on it. And they found a pond and they drained the pond and they begin to scrape the bottom. And they said it was like chocolate soup. You know, they're in the bottom just pulling up all these organisms and logging all this stuff. And uh, one of them grabbed a hold of something, and they thought at first it was a catfish. And what it ended up being, because of contaminants in the, in the pond or whatever, they found this 10-inch, really big, fat tadpole. It's this massive tadpole. And they, they've looked at it. They've had scientists come in and look at it. It, ha- it hasn't grown one bit. Like, it's just gotten big and fatter. It has not metamorphosed into a frog, not even close, not even started. Like, there's no legs, the face, the lips, everything. is still a tadpole. It's just 10 inches long. It's a big, stinking tadpole. Uh, I don't think Coors meant to use this as, a, as an advertisement. But uh, it, it's just a, a freak of nature. And I think when you look at that, you go, that ain't right, right? Like the, there's something wrong with that. Like we know that that tadpole should have grown into a frog by now, but it hasn't. It stayed a, a, just a tadpole. It just got to be a fat tadpole. Now, can I just say this? I'm afraid that the majority of churches today are fat tadpoles, just to say it bluntly. It's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians. We're not growing. 
Like, like you're still on milk, you should be on solid food by now, but you're not growing. And, and I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that we're not owning it. We're sitting back and we expect the church to do everything for us. And, and then when the church doesn't, we're disgruntled with the church or we think something's wrong with that church, so I'm going to go try a different church. And we're not owning our own spiritual growth. And so here, here's the bottom line. I don't want to be a fat tadpole. I don't know how many of you want to, but I, I doubt any of you would want to. And so we're going to learn today how to own it. And I, and I, want, to, I want us to, to learn how to foster an up relationship with God. And so let me give you just a few um, things that when we talk about fostering an up relationship, hopefully these things come to mind for you. And, and it kind of it give you a, kind of some practical steps on how to do that. When we talk about fostering an up relationship, the first thing that I, I mean, or the first thing that you'll hear us say a lot here, is that when you're talking about fostering an up relationship, it means becoming more like Christ every day. So it's the spiritual journey of maturity, of walking toward Christ, of becoming more and more like Christ every day. And you guys, if you've been around here for a while, you've heard that a lot. This is what we're talking about. We want you to dedicate yourself, to commit yourself, to own it, that you're going to foster an up relationship to become more like Christ every day. Now, a lot of the stuff that I'm going to talk about here today, you're going to go, okay, I've heard that. But here's my question to you. If you do that, if that's your first response, my question is this, are you doing it? Because we can say, oh, I've heard that before, but if we're not doing it, we're fat tadpole. We need to be working on these things. And so um, this idea of becoming more like Christ every day, let me ask you this. What did you do yesterday to become more like Christ? Are you more like Christ today than you were yesterday? Are we fostering an up relationship? Uh, Turn over to Romans chapter 8, go to verse 29, Romans 8, verse 29. See, when we were growing up, I think many of us had dreams of what we wanted to be. You know, we wanted to be ball players or ballerinas or president of the United States or whatever it was. And, and as you get older, you have to admit that um, today your dreams are a little bit different than they were when you were 10 years old, right? Like they've changed a lot. In fact, some of you might think that you've missed out because you didn't become all the things that you had hoped to become when you were a kid. But here's something I want you to know before you leave here today, all right? You, no matter where you're at, no matter what your dreams were, you were called to be something significant. Uh, More precisely, more correct, okay, let me say it this way. You've been called to be like someone significant. You were called to be like Christ. And actually, in Romans chapter 8, it says this, God knew his people in advance. He knew every one of us, even before today. He knew us in advance, and he chose them to become like his what? Like his son, He chose us to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God has called us to be more like Christ every day. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be like many gods running around, right? He never says that we're going to be a god. But what God does say is he wants us to become like him. He wants us to be godly. He wants us to take on the characteristics of Jesus Christ, to be loving, to be joyful, to be peaceful, to be patient, kind, and self-controlled, and gentle. And for those of you that worked in the children's department this last month, you know I'm reading off the the gifts of the Spirit that's listed in Galatians chapter 5. But these are the things that we're called to. We're supposed to look more like Christ every day. Turn over to Philippians chapter 1, go to verse 6. Philippians 1, verse 6. Now, I think one of the reasons why Jesus came... Yeah, he came to, to be crucified for our sins. And, but one of the reasons why he came was so that he could live this life and so that it could be recorded in the New Testament. 
But we have books that tell us the life of Jesus Christ. And, and that's recorded so that we might know what it looks like to live that type of Christ, that life of Christ here on earth, even in the midst of this mess, right, that we call life, that we call our, our culture. He lived a perfect life, and we're called to be like him. Now, will this kind of change happen overnight? No, not at all. Is it easy? <laughs> There's no way, right? You remember being 13, right? Yeah, it's not easy. Change, change is hard. Maturity, spiritual growth is hard. It's hard to do. It doesn't come easy. That chiseling away, that molding and that shaping and that letting go, that, that type of stuff is hard. But here's what I promise you, that you will get there. And the reason I can promise you that is because Scripture promises us that. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now, as we've said many times, obviously, we don't arrive until we arrive, but the idea is that every day we're becoming more and more like Christ every day. And it's one of the paradoxes in the Christian walk, isn't it? Like the closer you draw to Christ, the further away you realize you really are. And if you ever have a day where you're discouraged because you realize how far you still have to go, I want you to remember this, that God is still not done with you. He's still working on you to become more like Christ every day. You're not there yet. None of us are. But we're, we're moving in that direction, and God is perfecting that within us. So fostering an up relationship means becoming more like Jesus every day. And then secondly... It's putting God first, putting God first in everything, making him the priority. Everything centers around Christ. This is what it means to foster an up relationship. Why? Because knowing God is what matters most in life. And you're never going to be, become a friend of God in your spare time. It doesn't happen that way. You have to make him a priority. He has to be the priority in your life if you're going to foster that relationship. Paul says it like this. Uh, if you just look across the page, go to Philippians chapter 3. It says this. Everything else is worthless. It's worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as what? All as what? Garbage. This is what he uses, garbage, so that I could gain Christ. Now, we could go into a lot of detail about those words and what they mean. I mean, he really gets graphic when he talks about this. But the bottom line is this. He's saying nothing, nothing compares to knowing Christ. Everything else pales in comparison with coming into a perfect relationship with Jesus Christ. My question is, are we doing that? Are we seeking Christ every day of our life with, with all that we have? Are we seeking Jesus Christ? Remember, you're only as close to God as you choose to be. And if you're going to be a friend of God's, you have to want to be a friend of God's. Like you, you have to want this. You have to own it. And you can't blame anybody else. This is the great thing about it. You can't blame your spouse, kids, parents, friends. You can't blame anybody. Why? Because it's your relationship with God. You have to own it. And so it's up to you. And I want you to remember that you're as close to God as you want to be. And if you're feeling distant, guess who moved? My guess is that you just didn't make him a priority in your life. And all of a sudden, something happened, times get hard, and, and you're like, God, where are you? And he's like, been here all along. But you've got to want this. You've got to own this. I want you to know that knowing and loving God is our greatest privilege in life. 
And being known and being loved by God is our greatest pleasure. Don't miss out on it. This is fostering a relationship with God. Uh, Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9, go to verse 23. Now, I've noticed that uh, people actually can tell you what's important by what they brag about. Have you noticed that? Like whatever they're bragging about, that's what they hold as, as most valuable in their life. If it's their kids, they brag about their kids. If it's their car or if it's a fancy home or clothes or some experience that they had, they'll brag about it. We brag about the things that we value most in our life. And in Jeremiah chapter 9, apparently God knew that as well because he said, Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord. Why? Because knowing Jesus Christ is of utmost importance. Because it's what life is all about. Knowing God is what matters most. Do you realize the God in the universe who, who sent his son, died on the cross for you, wants a relationship with you? He loves you? Do we place any importance on that? And the thing is, you read through Scripture, there's so many benefits to getting close to God, to, to learning His ways and applying those things to your lives. There's so many benefits. And yet we sidestep all of them because we're chasing after other things. So fostering an up relationship means becoming more like Christ every day. It also means putting God first. But thirdly, it means spending time with God daily. It means that we, we make Him a priority. So we're going to spend time with Him every day. Day. So here's what I want to do. I want to turn a corner. I want to talk about some practical ways that you and I can foster an up relationship with God by spending time with him every day. And the first one is just this. Study the word of God. Study the word of God. And again, you've heard this a thousand times, right? My question again is, are we doing it? Are we doing it? What did you read yesterday? What, what was your area of spiritual growth yesterday? Well, it, it's the weekend. It's Saturday. I don't really... Eh. Fostering an up relationship daily with God every day. If I had a financial book that I gave you and I said, look, this book holds every answer that you will ever need to, get, to overcoming debt, to, to becoming financially wealthy, to, to accumulating wealth, to planning out a retirement, for, for paying off your house. It holds every answer that you will ever need financially. You know what you would do? You would wear that book out. You would be coming back to me asking me for another copy because you wore it out. Why? Because it's a priority for us. When it comes to our finances, man, that's serious. Now we're talking. But yet when it comes to our eternal life and a Savior, God has given us his word and we're like, eh, ain't got time for this. Pastor's coming over for dinner. Better knock the dust off the Bible on the coffee table, Right? And I know I'm being a little harsh, but I want to challenge us, man. I, I, want to, I want you to own this, to say no more. Like, we are going to study the Word of God. We're going to get serious about it. And again, God has promised us so many things. If we just get into His Word, if we meditate on Scripture, if we apply those truths to our lives, there's so much that comes out of it. Perspective and direction and comfort and peace and conviction, all these things. I mean, there's great things that come out of that to help mold and shape us into a better us. Somebody that looks more like Christ every day, and yet we just kind of, eh, I don't have time for that today. So would you turn over to Psalm 119, go to Psalm 119. Let me ask you this. So how do we meditate on Scripture? 
How are we supposed to meditate? Because I hear this all the time. Well, I just so hard. I don't know how to do it. Can I just say it this way? If you're the type of person who worries a lot, you already know how to meditate. All right? When you worry, all you're doing is you're taking a negative thought and you roll it around your head time after time after time after time. That's meditation. When you meditate on the word of God, you take his promises and his scripture and you let it roll around in your heart and head time after time after time. And that's how you meditate on scripture. It's really easy. And let me tell you, it's a lot better than worrying. It's much better than worrying. It won't take lives off or years off your life. It'll actually add them. Incredible how that works. Now, uh, Philippians chapter 2, 16 says, hold firmly to the word of God. Hold firmly to the word of God. Don't let it go. And yet we're just like, eh, I don't have time for it. Now, if all you do, if you think, okay, well, I come to church on Sundays. And if all you do is you come in here on a Sunday morning and you hear me give you a little bit of scripture and you look it up in the book or whatever, and you think that that's going to be enough, let me promise you this. You will have a weak grip on scripture and it will be easily taken away from you. But if you commit yourself to fostering up relationship and you study the word of God and you meditate on it, you'll plant it so deep in your mind and heart that nobody can take it away from you, not even our enemy. It'll be yours. We're to meditate on scripture. Psalm 119, verse 16 says, I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. I will, I will delight in it, like I'll enjoy it and I'm not gonna forget it. Can I ask you, what was the last scripture you read? Can you remember? Don't use the one we just read, all right? What's the one you read yesterday? Did you delight in it? Can we remember it? See, are we really meditating on Scripture? What's fascinating about this is Psalm 119 is this amazing chapter. It's the longest chapter in all the Bible. If you take just about any Bible and you split it right down the middle and open it up, you're probably going to hit Psalm 119. It's right in the middle of the Bible, and it's the longest chapter. It's 176 verses. You want to guess what it's about? How important the Word of God is in our lives. That's it. The whole thing, 176 verses on how important Scripture is, and yet so often we don't commit ourselves to it. We need to own it. We need to say we're going to study the Word of God. Here at Mountain View, we've tried to give you a lot of tools to do that as well. Do you realize for the last year and a half we've had a reading thing going on every morning? All you have to do is just text go to that phone number right there. We've got a whole bunch of people doing it every morning. Pastor Mike sends out a passage with a, ver, uh, with a question or two to help you go deeper into what you're reading. And they're great questions that will make you dive into Scripture, gives you something to study. So even if you forgot your Bible reading that morning, you got to work and your phone goes ding, you're like, oh yeah, I can do this. At least you're, you're devouring some word of God, right? You need that. And so this is an easy way to get plugged in. And you can do that right now. Um, something I do, I've got a few guys in my life who uh, we, for the last almost two years now, have read for, through the book of Proverbs every month. And we do a chapter a day. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. It's a wisdom book. I need wisdom. So I thought that book was written just for me. I need to really study that. For, so for almost two years now, uh, me and a group of guys, we read that. If it's November 3rd, we read chapter 3. And then we all text each other as to what we got, what verse stood out, what we got out of it, whatever it might be. There's some accountability there, too, because if uh, somebody hasn't texted for a while, you're like, hey, you still reading with us? Yeah, I'm still there. And so we're, we're all throwing our stuff in there every day. Uh, the guys in our lives, my dad's here today, so I can't lie about this, but my dad, uh, my brother-in-law, myself, our sons, uh, we all do Oswald Harvey's, I'm sorry, Oswald uh, Chambers' 
uh, my utmost for his highest every day. He's got one for every day of the year, and we do it together. It was written in the early 1900s. He takes a, a scripture or a passage, and then he unpacks it, and it's very challenging. And we text each other as to what we read and what, we, what line or sentence or paragraph that we really liked and got something out of that. We'll text each other every day with that. And um, it's a way of staying in the Word. It's a way of having some accountability and making sure that you're getting that in your life every day. We need to study the Word of God. You need to own this one. The second one might be a little different for you. I want to encourage you, not only study the Word of God, but I want to encourage you to journal as well. You need to journal. And this is fascinating because a lot of people don't use this anymore. We've gotten away from pen and paper. But man, even if you're, you're journaling on a tablet, it doesn't matter. I want you to start journaling. Because here's what's amazing. We talk about spiritual growth. You want to see spiritual growth. Go back and look what you, you journaled two years ago or five years or ten years ago. You'll see spiritual growth. You'll see your faith grow in that. It's a record of how God is answering prayer, how he's, how he's dealing with you and what you're dealing with and how you're growing in your faith. And there's many times I've gone back and read old prayer requests. I've gone back and read some of my entries and went, wow, I was worried about that back then. Like today, that's not even on my radar. It's amazing how God can use journaling to, to bring you up, to, to encourage you. And, and not only you, but maybe a next generation. Because guess what happens with that? It gets passed on to somebody else. I have Bibles from generations before me. And I go and I look at the writings and the margins, and it's amazing. I'm like, man, they were so wise. I want to get to that place. So it's not just for you, but it's also for the generations that will come after you. The whole book of Psalms, if you read through there, it's amazing to me how many of those are actually David, King David, journaling. He's in a cave. He's hiding. Somebody's trying to kill him, and he's journaling. He's celebrating a great victory in war, and he's journaling. And, and a lot of that we read today is Psalms, and it, it's journaling. And so I want to encourage you, not only study the Word of God, but commit yourself to journal as well. Uh, next one, I wanted to say prayer, but it's more than that. It's a prayer life. When we think of prayer, it's like just one throwing one up at breakfast, and I'm good to go. But I, I want to challenge you with a prayer life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says that we should pray without ceasing or never stop praying. It should be part of our life as we go through our day, just constantly talking to God about everything that we're going through. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we just talked about this. We were in a series called I Love My Church, and we talked about I Love My Church because it's a church that prays. And we challenged you. We said that prayer isn't about getting our way, but it's about surrendering our will. We also challenged you to pray big and specific prayers. I hope you're doing that. We had a big prayer night. A bunch of you came to that. We're going to have more of those coming up. We're also doing something right now that uh, if you haven't heard about this, hopefully you know about it, but if you haven't, we want you to join us in this. We call it One Habit. We have from now until our Christmas program, we have logged in our phone an alarm to go off at one o'clock every day. So every day, one time a day at one o'clock for one minute, we stop and we pray for that person that God has placed in our lives that doesn't know Christ that we know that we're called to reach. And if you don't have somebody, then you need to be praying that God would place somebody in your life that would be your out relationship. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But this is part of having an active prayer life. So uh, we want you studying the Word of God. We want you journaling and, and owning a prayer life. And then the last thing I want to challenge you with, a practical way of fostering up relationship, is just to serve to get plugged in and start serving. Matthew 20 says that, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life. See, service is not something that we tack into a, our spare time. 
It's actually at the heart of the Christian life. We serve because Christ served us. He loved us and gave himself up for us. And so we love the world around us because he died for them and we give ourselves up for them. And this is what Jesus came to do, to serve, to give. Those types of verbs, they should actually define the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we see so often where Jesus taught through Scripture so many times he would say that maturity, the spiritual maturity, is not an end of itself. Like it's, not, it's not just so that you can feel good about yourself for growing in your walk with Christ. But the fact that you're maturing spiritually is so that you might be poured out for the people around you. Your spiritual maturity is not just for you, but it's for the people around you. That's why he said, go and baptize and then teach them everything I've taught you. It's not just for you, it's for the people around you as well. And so as you grow spiritually, you keep serving, you keep giving to others. It's not enough just to learn and, and not do anything with it. But you have to act on what you know and you have to practice what you say you believe in. Now, if you study the word of God and you don't serve and you're not putting it into play and you're not using it to, to bring growth and, and knowledge to the people around you, guess what? You're, you're experiencing spiritual stagnation. That's what that is. Uh, it's the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Uh, if you ever go and look, the Sea of Galilee sets and there's water flowing into it. There's water flowing out of it. It's blue. It's teeming with life. But you go right down the Jordan and you hit the Dead Sea. There's a reason why it's called the Dead Sea. It's dead. There's nothing, I mean, nothing living in it. And it's because no water comes out of it. There's no change. It's stagnant. And for so many of us, we're doing the same thing. We're becoming fat tadpoles. We're just learning and we're not doing anything with it. Now, for this church, I will say this. I love you guys. I'm, I'm starting to, to see where we're getting it. You guys are owning it. And I have to stop for a minute and just compliment you because a couple of weeks ago, we did this thing where we were challenging you to, to give of your time and talent. We said, serve somewhere. And it was amazing to me how many of you, uh, you filled out the survey, you got your color, you went out to the tables, you filled out one or two places to serve, some of you even more. And I got so excited about that because I've never seen that happen in a church before. You guys took that uh, seriously. You went out and you did it. And, and if you have not received a phone call yet, let me just tell you this. It's because we're scrambling to make all the phone calls because so many of you responded. So don't give up, okay? We have not forgot about you. I'm just letting you know. We're going to call you. We're just working our way through the list right now. But it's awesome because we got that many people signed up. So thank you for doing that. Uh, we got a guy here who was, uh, his wife was out of town and he, he uh, called her, had her take the test, and then he took a picture of the table and then she told him which one to sign her up for. And I thought, that's awesome. That's what we want, right? Uh, that's getting involved in making this a priority in their life. Now, the truth is, though, for most Christians in the American church today, is that we're following Jesus, and, and we probably know more Scripture than what we're actually putting into practice. We know more things about Scripture, and we're not being obedient to it. And what we need is we need an experience of service to be able to exercise what we know to be true already. See, being mature in Christ means that we're living a life of service. Jesus came to serve, and guess what? He's going to help us find a place to serve as well, because that's the life that we're called to. Now, I want to let you know, I know it's a goofy illustration, but I don't want us to be fat tadpoles. I want us to learn this. I want us to own it, and I want us to get out and, and, and grow in Christ to where it has an impact, not just on our lives, but on the people around us. 
our co-workers, our family, our, our fellow students, and, and changing our schools and changing our workplaces for Christ because we're actually being used by Christ to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. I don't want to be fat tadpoles. I had this great privilege a couple of months ago to fly to Houston, Texas, and I met with some people down there. I flew into Dallas uh, four weeks later, and I met with a whole bunch of people there. And uh, it was pastors and elders and staff, church staff members and stuff. And we had these just big, oh, there went my thing. That's all right. I'm good. Uh, we had this big meeting in, in both places. Thanks, man. Sorry. And uh, you going to be here next week? Okay. Uh, I had these gatherings, and the one in Houston uh, and the one in Dallas was no different. Uh, sitting and talking and talking about this very subject of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and how do you move a church to do that? How do you get churches to actually adopt that and own it and become disciples of Jesus Christ that are changing the world? How do you do that? And, and when I was in Dallas, it was fascinating to me because there was a, a group of elders sitting to my left, and and uh, we got through one of these sessions. It was like second day of it. And we're talking about it. We've been diving into this whole subject and what it looks like. And this guy's sitting uh, there. And he's probably 80-some years old. And his friend's sitting next to him. He's an elder as well. And he's almost in tears. And he just he tells me, he goes, Don, you're telling me that every one of us, no matter where we're at in the church, like we should have, we should have been able to reach somebody with the gospel. We should baptize somebody. Like, like that was our job. We were supposed to be discipling people. We should have had somebody discipling us. That was the life, and, and that's what we're supposed to be doing as believers. And I said, yes, that's what I'm saying. That's what Scripture says. And I thought he was, was kind of like struggling with this and going to argue with me over it. But what he said next, kind of it just kind of stumped me. He said, look, I was raised in the church. He said, I, I was raised, from the time I was born, I remember being in the church. He said, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we were at church. And he said, anytime there were events outside of those nights, we were there. And he said, and I, was, I never was taught this. And he said, I feel like I've wasted all of these years because I haven't reached a single person. I've never baptized anybody. I've never discipled anyone. I have just been a pew warmer. I just wanted to hug him and go, man, I wish, I wish God would strike all of our hearts the way he's striking yours right now. Because if we could see it, if we could just get it, we would change this world. But I want to tell you the same thing I told him. Because I, I told him, I said, I want to take that from you. Because I don't think that's your fault. I think that's our fault as the church. I think that's our fault as pastors because we didn't teach it right. We were happy just to have people fill the congregation and go home feeling good about ourselves. But starting today, we know it. Starting today, we know what we have to do. We know what we're supposed to do, what God has called us to do. And today, there's no more excuses. And so today, I want to challenge you in very practical ways to study the Word of God to journal, to, to get into a prayer life, to commit yourself to serve. I want you to own fostering an up relationship. Make it your own. And I believe that if we do this and we do this together, God is going to do something absolutely amazing, not only in us, but through us. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we come to you right now just as uh, your church. Uh, we're admittedly broken. 
We're um, struggling in a lot of areas, Lord, and, and you know that before we even tell you. But Lord, today, in this moment, we just commit ourselves. We acknowledge that there is a mission at hand that we have sometimes overlooked. Life has gotten in the way. We've, we've prioritized it way down the list. Lord, I pray that today you would wake us up. Would you send your Holy Spirit into minds and hearts? Draw us close to you, Lord, and let us know that we are called to be like someone significant, to be like Jesus in everything that we do and say. I pray that you would raise us up in this moment. Challenge us, and Lord, I, I pray for each person in this room as we leave here today, that as this week unfolds, that we would put you at the top of the list. And I pray that you would put people in our lives where we could start to exercise what we know is true. We could be able to witness to them. We would be able to reach out and love on people that other people think are unlovable. Be able to bring hope where there is no hope. God, help us to be the people that you've called us to be. And I pray that in this moment, as we own this mission, that you would start the ball rolling right now for something incredible, a working of the Spirit of God in the body of Christ. God, we pray all this brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless. Thank you.